Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. You know, every year, you look at your draft board, you look at the rankings, there are just some players that are on your do-not-draft list, basically. Some players that, man, the value has to be so good for you to take them. And we welcome you to the Thursday edition of Fantasy Football today on July 2nd. We're recording on Wednesday, July 1st, but happy Thursday, everybody, uh, and happy July. It's training camp month. Oh, yeah. So what do we call this list? We're calling it the top five players we are avoiding. Jamie's got five. Ben's got five. Jamie, what's the best way to think about this list? It's not a complete and utter do-not-draft list exactly, but what's right. the best way to frame it? I think drafting the guys in the spots that they're going. Yeah, but it, like, it had to be a what, like a substantial discount for you to. You just don't want them, right? Like, you're not excited to draft them. Is that fair? So yes. So like, for example, I'm not gonna pass on Derrick Henry if he falls to round three. <laughs> you know, right. like I'm not gonna be that stupid. Um, <laughs> but I'm not gonna take him in round one, even in non or half PPR, and I'm not gonna probably take him in round one or two in PPR. So he's somebody that I will avoid and probably be wrong on because he's awesome, but I just, I'm afraid of the touches from a year ago. And I'm going to compare some of the ADP we're seeing for these players to what we saw in the mock draft that we reviewed on Monday with Scott Fish, the industry mock draft. Like you take a look at this group of, of four picks in round four, middle of round four, Odell Beckham, Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, Amari Cooper. Three of those four players are among the 10 that we're going to be talking about today on the do not draft list. But the other part of that is actually three of those four players are going a little bit later than their ADP. So um, we'll give you some different ways to approach this. Ben, do you want to add anything? Uh, or or do you want to just talk about players you don't want to draft? No, I think Jamie's right. I mean, I, I agree with him on on Henry and not being a big fan of his. And I also have to agree that I would probably draft him in the third round. I mean, that's a point where, like, even me with Derrick Henry, I, I think I would pull the trigger. So, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a point uh, Aaron Jones is another guy I think we're going to talk about today that uh, I'm not real fond of, but I drafted him in our uh, Scott Fish mock last night on Twitch, or I guess two nights ago for the people who are hearing this on Thursday, um, because he was there at the, I think it was at 3.12, you know, in a in a super flex, and there was a lot of QBs that had gone, but that that to me was pretty clearly the best running back still left, even though I'm, I'm not very high on him at all. Yeah, we are going to talk about him. Think about this with Aaron Jones, though. I, I went back and I just looked at the top five running backs of the last five years. They like no, they don't. They don't lose work <laughs> the next year. You know, like I don't think there has been one where where been like, well, we're not buying to this guy. You know, it's just something to think about. Well, Adam, Although, you're you're, you're yeah. still in the Aaron Jones camp of he's a round two pick, right? I think twenty fourth. I right there, two three turn. And okay, I, so I if there's a heavy run on running backs you want to back. Let's say you're picking 21. You may take him. He may fall to 26. Yeah. Okay. So what's your expectation for him, given that he scored 19 total touchdowns last year, that his passing work, the majority of it, and all of his receiving touchdowns came when Devontae Adams was gone, and the fact that they added a guy who can significantly cut into – his goal line opportunities, his red zone opportunities, his five yard, um, you know, scoring opportunities, wherever you want to place that number. Uh, and he had the most red zone touchdowns, I believe, last year for a running back. Um, how much does he does he fall from that? Twelve touchdowns. 
he goes to 12 touchdowns. Yeah. So a seven touchdown decline. Yeah, it's a big one. And you've skewed your own personal numbers to include him in the 50 catch running back. Range. 49 catches. Right. You've, no, I don't you, think so, he'll get there. I don't think he'll get there. So where does he, where does he go? Although I do think that, man, I want to make sure I get this right. Was he second on the team in receiving last year? I believe he was. I think a running back's been second on the team receiving under Matt LaFleur like every year he's been coordinator, second or third, coordinator or coach. Um, it's it's a big part of, of his offense. So, you know, I think he'll do a little, like, I think he'll be like 40 catches, and I just think they're going to be a very, very run-heavy offense. And the other thing, Jamie, about him is that I think he's a bridge running back. He's sort of the end of a tier, and he's before you get to the guys that you, that are older, that have a lot of downside. Uh, I also don't buy into A.J. Dillon just, like, taking him off the field near the goal line that much. I don't know. Uh, the problem, yeah, the, the, the A.J. Dillon thing, I, I, kind of, I kind of agree with that. And I agree with you that he's a bridge tier, and particularly when you talk about the downside of the guys behind him, Aaron Jones probably doesn't have that type of downside. Like, he's going to be good. He's always been very efficient. But the problem with the comparison you made where guys that are that good continue to get work is Aaron Jones' usage last year was so unique. Jamie touched on it with the receiving, where all of his receiving touchdowns and so much of his receiving work came when Adams was hurt, and Adams could get hurt again. Um, but also he only played 65% of the snaps in four games. Those were the two games that Jamal Williams got hurt and, and two more that Jamal Williams left early. They essentially were like not willing to use him as a 65% or more running back, snap share running back, unless their other back got hurt. And so now they've added a third back. And in those four games where he did hit that snap share, that's where three of his 500-yard rushing games came. He only had two other ones in his other 12 games. So like they they didn't use him – all of his usage last year, how high his rushing got and, and where his best rushing games came and how high his receiving got and where his best receiving uh, yards came, they all came in like emergency situations for the team when another player was injured. Mm -hmm. And that's very odd. And then they go and they draft a running back. So no matter what you think about A.J. Dillon, it just seems pretty clear that they're making even even more evident that they don't want to use him as a workhorse, It's which isn't good for fantasy. I mean, it might be smart to, to preserve a guy who's – sub 210 pounds and use him as more of an explosive change of pace type type player. Um, but like we saw this, a, a guy we saw this with for a long time was Jamal Charles, very explosive player. And the chiefs early, especially early in his career, when they still have Thomas Jones, they kept doing this year after year. They wouldn't give him Charles enough work. And, and then eventually he did get enough work. And I assume that Aaron Jones is going to go on to have a great career, but it just seems like in 2020, that's not what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Well, if you recall, I, I thought, before the NFL draft, you know, Aaron Jones was being drafted, you know, end of the first round in a lot of our drafts. And I thought he was going too early because I said the touches just aren't there. The difference between the way I've been seeing it and I think the, the way you guys are seeing is I just don't think A.J. Dillon has that big of a factor. And if he is a big factor, I think it'll come at the expense of Jamal Williams. And I think they're going to try to run the ball more than they did last year because that's been Matt LaFleur's tendency as well. He's, he's a run-heavy coach in limited uh, limited years. Um, so I, I don't think AJ Dillon affects Aaron Jones. Like Aaron Jones is where he is, where he is in my mind, 24th overall. He's been that the entire offseason. Uh, when he was going too early before the NFL draft and after the NFL draft, because I just I guess I just don't, as of right now, don't really see Dillon having much more of a role than Jamal Williams did last year. And quite frankly, I just don't think Jamal Williams deserves that much of a role. I think he should be just an afterthought in this offense. 
and let Aaron Jones. Maybe Aaron Jones gets more catches this year because Jamal Williams doesn't do much, and because, and, and he picks up some of the slack in that area. I uh, just like the thing that that I fear the most with Aaron Jones is how much of the touchdown regression is there going to be? Because I don't I don't think his touches are going to change dramatically. Maybe like I think you're right. He goes from 49 catches to 40. And Dylan probably takes on the bulk of the 106 or 109 carries that Jamal Williams had. And that that's probably where he wins in terms of getting his touches from. Because, yes, why would you want to run Jamal Williams when he's probably better suited to be more of a pass catching type of option, change of pace type of option? But if he goes from 19 touchdowns to five or six, you're really in trouble by taking him there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For and that sure. wouldn't be crazy. He only had nine the year before, and that was with a high touchdown rate. Yeah, he had a lot fewer touches, but um, I think he only played 12 games, too, so to, to be fair. But I, I think, um, Adam, to your point about um, not thinking that Dylan is really going to to take on that much of a role, like we still have to take into account that the Packers made the decision to draft this guy in the second round. Like they, yeah. they made that decision. That's oh, do you think, do you think their first round pick is going to have a big role? No, but I, I do think <laughs> no, I'm, just kidding. Um, I'm just making fun of the Packers. The the big thing with Jones for his first two years, because what you just said about Jamal Williams as well was like everyone in the fantasy community wanted the Packers to unleash Aaron Jones. They thought he was a more talented back and he's been more efficient and more productive than Jamal Williams whenever given touches, but they kept using Williams and they kept using Williams for a reason. They think he's a better pass blocker. They like him on passing downs. Like Jamie said, um, whether or not we think that Aaron Jones is good enough to keep Jamal Williams off the field, he wasn't uh, doing that. He wasn't actually keeping him off the field until last year. And last year, everyone's like, okay, Aaron Jones is finally unleashed. But when you dig into the stuff, the numbers and the, and the, the splits, you realize like they didn't really unleash him. You know, mm-hmm. they, only, they only did it because they had to. Correct. And then they, they did in the playoffs. And I just wonder if he, if he has earned a bigger role going into the final year of his contract, but fair enough. I uh, let me just. I, finish I can't. Off. I can't use. I can't use that terminology though. I understand why you're doing it, based on what he did. But earning and what they've showed us and what they've told us with their actions, I just don't see how that's happening. Unless they just don't want to give him a second contract, and they're planning on losing him after this year. And Jamal, they're both free agents, right? He and and Jamal Williams. Oh, I mean, their draft speaks to the future. Yeah, uh, their first round pick, their second round pick. It's it speaks for. Let's have something in place for Rodgers. Let's have something in place that could bridge the gap for what happens if Jones and Williams are gone after the season. The the other part of it that's small, but it, it could be impactful, is Brian Balaga's loss as well. You know, losing a key piece of the offensive line is not the best thing for a team that was so good in how they blocked last year. So let me just finish with this. If I say I'm thinking around the two, three turn for Jones. When are you guys comfortable taking him? And his average draft position is 13th overall, 10th running back off the board. His uh, ADP, that's on NFC. In the most recent draft we did uh, a couple weeks ago with the industry insider, with the, you know, the experts in the industry, he went 16th overall. When would you take Aaron Jones? Mid-round three. I'm late three. I took him at 312 in that other format where I said quarterbacks went early, but also is a running back heavy format because of uh, some point per first down, you know, elements. And in, in traditional PPR, I would take receivers there potentially. So for me, it's more late round three in, in a PPR. In, in non-PPR, yeah, I would take him earlier in the third probably. Yeah. I I'm think if push comes to shove, if I had the first pick and I took Christian McCaffrey um, and I was playing in a PPR league, I'm probably 
not going to take Aaron Jones there. That's but, like Juju, Galladay, Ridley, Cup. Yeah, range. Juju know, in particular. More, DJ Moore in some cases. And I'm hopeful uh, that not drafting with Ben. That's. <laughs> That if it's full PPR with three receivers that a slightly better running back than Aaron Jones might be available there. But okay. Um, let me tell the you about the decision our, you might have Facebook to make, not, not, not to yeah. you know, belabor the point, I'm sorry, but is uh, Edwards Hilaire versus Jones. And I think most people are probably lean toward Jones. Um, and I get it, but you know, I, I, he, I'm just scared. I have Edwards Hilaire ahead of him, one spot. Same. You guys, so simpatico. All right. Join our Facebook group. Well, I mean, you you have your two smartest analysts. On yeah, Friday. I know. I know. I love this. It's a great show. <laughs> Search Fantasy Football Today on Facebook or click on the link in the description to chat with the FFT team and other fantasy fans. The Facebook group's really fun. Get in there. Uh, good, good topics of conversation. And you can discuss draft strategies and things like that. Thank you for joining us Tuesday night on Twitch. Also a lot of fun. We did the Scott Fishbowl mock draft. And, um, yeah, I said <laughs> the scoring is so different that I just had, like, was my team good? I don't know. I wish we could play it out. But Scott Fishbowl drafts are starting on Monday, and we will play those out. Uh, we got a Twitter poll for you. And Derrick Henry was one of the five players that Jamie gave me. He does not want to draft Derrick Henry. He's going eighth in NFC ADP, and I believe he went eighth in our CBS mock draft. So, I asked, where do you think Derrick Henry should be drafted this year in a half PPR league, which was the draft that we did uh, two weeks ago? Top eight, nine through 16, 17 through 24, or round three? Where would you guys take him? Top eight, nine through 16, 17 to 24, or round three for Derrick Henry? One of the last two options. <laughs> Same. Well, you have to pick one. I'll say round three then, because... Uh, I'm fine taking him 17 to 24 if, you know, format or, or whatever dictates it. But typically, if I'm picking there, I've already taken a running back in the first round. There's a lot of receivers that I like in that range. So I'm probably not going to take him there. Agreed. Okay. Well, only 4.4% so far said round three. Only 23% said top eight. Picks 9 through 16 is the winner right now for when should Derrick Henry be drafted in a half PPR league. 59%. 17 to 24 had 13.5% of the vote. So really, picks 9 through 16 running away with it. That's his ADP. I think that's going to be you know where it probably ends up. 9 through 16. Yeah, I mean, it's 8 right now, but sure. Um, Splitting hairs. Uh, Yeah, okay. So what do you have against... Derrick Henry, who was second in non-PPR and fifth in PPR last year. I mean, I, it's the same thing for me that I keep saying. You know, 400 total touches going the playoffs. Uh, I'm well aware of the data that it's typically the regular season work that catches up to you, but I'm just concerned that, you know, for a guy that does nothing in the passing game, 18 catches last year, his career best. Um, he's told me at the Pro Bowl, he's told us at the Super Bowl that he hopes to be more involved in the passing game. Uh, I don't know if that's going to change, you know, with Arthur Smith's offense and what they uh, what they like to do. So um, this isn't really uh, Darrington Evans is going to take him off the field. You've heard me say a lot of times that I'm taking Darrington Evans as lottery tickets more just in case that Henry gets hurt. And we saw last year he had to miss a game with, uh, I believe it was calf injury, calf injury or a hamstring injury. Um, so I, I'm just worried that wear and tear is going to catch up to a bigger running back. And he may miss some time. His points per game may warrant him being drafted in the first round because when he's on the field, I think he'll be fantastic. Um, but I just, I'm concerned about this type of workload catching up to him at some point. 
and uh, and I'm I'm just not going to take him. You know, th- this is more of a of a personal thing because he's awesome, and and I'd rather be wrong on this because I hope he's great once again. Well, is this just a PPR thing, or is this an every format thing? It's where he goes in non PPR is just too soon for me. Like I I think where Heath has him ranked, I, I get it. He's he's ahead of I think uh, Zeke for Heath. Um, you know, because he was better than him last year and, you know, he's got the chance to score 15 plus touchdowns and, and be 1500 rushing yards. But, um, you know, I, I just think that, uh, I'm not going to take him around one and non PPR and I'm probably not going to get him. And so then in, in each format, like it just drops down around and, and that's just kind of, uh, where I think he's going to go. Okay. Would you guys rather have Derek Henry or Aaron Jones? Henry, uh, Henry. Yeah. This okay. is another another guy who lost an offensive lineman too. I mean, Jack Conklin's gone. They're going to be using um, what's his name there. Well, I think they drafted Isaiah Wilson. I don't know that they plan to to start him from day one. They had another uh, lineman that I can't recall that will probably step into their to their starting lineup. But Jack Conklin's a very good tackle. That's not going to be there anymore. Um, now, maybe you know for Henry, the interior of the line matters more, but it, it's just it's not helpful. To, to him maintaining what was some ridiculous efficiency to, to be clear, like down the stretch, he was over six yards per, per uh, carry. His uh, touchdown rate was insane. His long run rate was insane. Uh, and that's really when he was good. If you go back and look at the first half of last year, he was kind of hit or miss. It was, you know, he had a couple one yard touchdown runs that, that saved a couple weeks, but um, we have these uh, team team previews that we did, and they're one of my favorite pieces of content we've done. Go to cbssports.com slash fantasy slash football. They're on that draft prep page down towards the bottom. And we had a key quote for everyone. I just want to read you this quote from John Robinson, their GM on Darrington Evans. He said there were enough clips where you could see him stepping up and sticking his face into the core of the protection, taking on a linebacker coming downhill. His toughness as a runner, I like the fact that he'll lower his shoulder and try to run through a tackle. I think from a mindset standpoint, you see his willingness to play tough. So I think with all of those things combined, we felt very comfortable with what he's going to be able to do in pass pro. That whole quote was about his ability to handle pass protection. Hmm. They want him to play on passing downs. They've been talking about it this offseason. I don't think Derrick Henry's receptions are going to go anywhere. He's never caught 20 balls in a a season, and and I just think it's crazy to think that's going to suddenly happen now. And just in case you missed it, that quote that Ben just read was about the rookie, Darrington Evans, not about Derrick Henry. Uh, yeah, and um, I just want to bring this up because you mentioned he got off to kind of an okay start. His first eight games, he averaged 3.9 yards per carry. He was he was fine. You know, but he was actually a top 12 running back in PPR because he got so much work and he still scored six touchdowns. So, like, that was the bad version of Derrick Henry, I guess. And he was still ninth in non-PPR and 12th in PPR. I don't know if he was per game. He probably wasn't because I don't I don't know if he had a buy in there. Uh, I can tell you. He did he not. So, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting to me that the bad version of Derrick Henry was still, at worst, probably top 15 per game and it was top 12 overall in, P- in full PPR. And that was with eight catches in eight games. All right, well, but... Okay, but apparently you guys see a little bit more downside than that. We'll talk about a few more players. We have some news items to get to. The Patriots have not guaranteed Cam Newton the starting job, according to The Athletic. Uh, You know, I don't think it's a huge surprise. And Chris Jones, Kansas City defensive tackle, says he will not play without a long-term agreement. He's a very good player. We hope he's out on the field. You know, it's going to be an unusual summer. It's going to be harder to get together with your friends and your family. 
But just because plans might change, it doesn't mean summer is canceled. Summer's still out there. We just have to work a little bit harder to make our summer moments happen. And Coors Light wants to be right there with you uh, by making it easier to chill this summer, starting with its new chill summer can featuring sunglasses that turn blue when the beer is cold and ready to drink. That's fun. And I remember we did our first Twitch uh, a couple months ago. Ben Gretsch sitting there drinking a Coors Light. So I know you're a Coors Light guy, and it's, uh, you know, this is a, tri- a trying summer, so you need something to chill with. Coors Light's uh, big for you. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just the first Twitch. I think for people that have come hang out on Twitch, it's become kind of a joke in the in the chat whether I've had, you know, how many Coors Lights I've had essentially because uh, Coors Light has essentially got me through quarantine. Yeah, I mean, I'm having a blast um, staying in and, and rocking out with Coors Light. The, the little bit of going out I've had the chance to do is to go golfing a few times, and it's always Coors Light for me on the golf course as well. I mean, it's – it's the perfect uh, the perfect beer for for the outdoor if you get out there or for for staying in. So that's why I choose Coors Light. That's the one I choose when I need a moment of chill. So when you want to reset this summer, reach for the beer that's made to chill. And you can have Coors Light delivered by going to get.coorslight.com and finding local delivery options near you. Yeah, celebrate get- responsibly. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the website get.coorslight.com <laughs> if you want to get it delivered. Um, and as Ben was saying, celebrate responsibly Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Um, and I want to know how many, like, what's the right amount of beer for your your best golf game? When do you go? Like, when when are you at your best? Three beers, Re- really? Well, when I when I golf the best, it's probably it's probably one beer. You know, just get it a little loosened up, and uh, then. But like, you know, <laughs> you got to keep that going because golf is a you know four or five hour thing. So you got to keep that. So you it's three beers throughout the round. You know. How come you don't golf, Jamie? I do. You do? Not very well, but I do. Oh, I did not know that. Things you learn about Jamie. Well, one thing I learned about Jamie is he's not drafting Derrick Henry and probably not going to get Aaron Jones. Some other players on his list, Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette was uh, seventh in PPR last year with 76 catches in 15 games. His 16-game pace was almost 1,800 total yards and a whopping three touchdowns. It's amazing. Uh, Yes. Now, they... They brought in Chris Thompson, but they didn't really challenge him with Raquel Armstead's still there. That's the weird thing. Like After this whole offseason, they don't really seem to want Leonard Fournette. They didn't draft anybody. Um, and what's, you know, 29th overall on ADP on NFC for Leonard Fournette. Whereas I feel like CBS, we hate him. He goes like 60th. In the recent draft we did with industry people, he went 36th, but it was not a CBS person. I don't think that took Leonard Fournette. I'll double check. But Jamie, when would you feel comfortable taking Fournette and why are you down on him? I would probably feel comfortable round, mid-round four, um, maybe closer to round five. But I'm just concerned that um, they're not going to be a very good team. Uh, I think their win total is the lowest um, over-under from what the last time I looked with Las Vegas was four and a half wins. So I don't think you can get very many, very many um you know, games where he's just having these dominant performances. Uh, I do think he's going to come off the field much more in passing downs than we saw last year, which is why Chris Thompson's there. And I think right. Paul Armstead could do that as well. It just, you know, all the evidence that we've seen from the Jaguars this off season of trying to trade him, declining his fifth year option. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing I think that I go back to that may help Leonard Fournette and it's the DeMarco Murray scenario of a few years ago is, run him into the ground and then kick him to the curb, you know? And so just 
we are going to just get everything we can out of you. And then you can go try and get paid somewhere else. And that may help him. Um, but I'm just not taking him in the first three rounds. And I think, you know, if you tell me his ADP is 29, then I'm definitely out. Are you guys taking Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins over Leonard Fournette? Akers, yes. The others, no. Um, I still have Fournette ranked ahead of all those guys, but I mean, those are rankings. <laughs> like Fournette yeah. is well below ADP. I, I'm I'm on board with Jamie. I'm not really drafting him, and I am potentially drafting those rookies. Hmm. I mean, it is interesting. How how many carries do you think he's going to get? So he well, can- so the in the 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 common theme we're finding with these three backs and and we're going to find with a couple of my backs as we is the high value touches that I love to talk about. These guys aren't going to catch a lot of passes. Fournette got a hundred targets last year, but they added Chris Thompson and Fournette wasn't very efficient on those a hundred targets. And they also drafted LaVisca Chenault who, who I love and we've talked about, but can play out of the backfield. Importantly um, was basically a wildcat runner at Colorado. I think he rushed for seven touchdowns. Uh, Very productive player that that will take up some of those short area targets as well i just don't think that's what they want fournette to do anymore so that's going to go away and then this is not a good offense so is his touchdown regression it, he should score more touchdowns but like is he going to score double digit touchdowns in an offense that's projected to have the lowest win total in the entire league this year like they're not going to score a lot of points so you better hope that he rushes a million times and that he's an efficient runner because the difference between him and derrick henry has Derrick Henry shown the ability to run for five yards to carry? Leonard Fournette has not. So what are you getting? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're still getting, and I'm glad you mentioned the difference between Fournette and Henry because they do seem like similar profiles, a lot of carries, maybe not a lot of catches, but keep in mind, Chris Thompson gets hurt every year. He's played 10 or 11 games, three straights. and three so straight Fournette, though. Um, yeah, so does Fournette. No, you know what? That's not 100, I, kind of. But he missed time the year before because of suspension. Some of that was suspension. He's actually been kind of healthier than I anticipated. He's not, he's he not the same injury risk that Thompson has been, but he does miss time due to injury. Oh, you mean his team had to suspend him during the season for not showing up for a meeting? And, and <laughs> well, that's something that we shouldn't think is a good thing? <laughs> uh, uh, no, look, I, I get it. I think 29th overall is crazy for him. But I think fourth round is pretty appealing. Hmm. Fourth, round's in, fourth round's interesting. Fifth round is appealing. For Fournette, I don't know where he's going to go. I was surprised his a- his ADP was 29th. He's he's. Pro- I'll go. I'll go back to the question. Yes, he's probably a better pick than Cam Akers, just with the uncertainty of what Akers' role is going to be. But um, I think if Akers hits as the starter for the Rams and the the touch leader for the Rams, he probably has a higher ceiling than Fournette right now. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about some of Ben's running backs here. Two wide receivers from Jamie that we'll get to. A tight end from Ben. Um, and. All right, Chris, and a wide receiver that's going later, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, but Chris Carson. What's up with that, man? Listen, you got to understand, Ben, you're, you're the whole uh, Rashad Penny thing, right? They weren't benching Chris Carson because he wasn't playing well. They were limiting his touches because he was fumbling. But he's always been good. I mean, in the last two years, this guy's been really good. He's been a top 12 running back. He's been a three, basically like since week three of 2018, Look at like for a full season, he's basically a 300 carry guy. He could lead the league in carries based on what we've seen, assuming they don't start throwing the ball a lot more. So I'm I'm kind of curious why you don't like Chris Carson. I get it with some of the other guys, but this guy's been really good and really productive. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we've harped on a lot of guys, so I was kind of trying to stretch that a little bit. Um, I, I don't disagree. I think Carson's a tricky one. I just think he's really getting propped up by um, just a lack of established workhorses, and I'm not sure that he is that or should be considered that. And and then there's the other side where, yes, his receiving rose last year, and it was solid at 37 catches, and he was efficient as a receiving back. And I would actually expect that he's probably their lead option um, on, on passing downs, unless it's Travis Homer. I mean, it's probably not going to be Carlos Hyde. I don't think that's DJ Dallas's skill set. And we know Penny's probably not going to be ready for the start of the year. So, uh, it, it, there's some question as to, you know, they got a lot of backs. Who's even going to be active on game days. Um, but Carson might be the one that has the, the best chance to play on passing downs as well. But, this isn't a team that's going to throw a lot to their to their backs. Russell Wilson's not a quarterback that checks down a lot. He scrambles. He likes to throw the ball down the field when he scrambles. He makes plays vertically. They have great receivers. They added a tight end. So I think they have some underneath options. Um, they might still add another receiver. They've been talking to you know Antonio Brown and, and Josh Gordon. Um, so I don't know that he's going to have a big receiving role. So then you go, okay, well, what is his value? Well, his value is a really heavy rush total, like you said. He had almost 300 carries in 15 games last year, although that only – equated to three games of 20 plus PPR points, which is not what I look for in a back. He wasn't bad. He was consistent. He frequently hit 10 points, uh, but you're talking about having to take this guy in the third round. And then there's the concern. Okay. Well, he has an injury history as well. And they brought in a guy who ran for a thousand yards on a different team last year and Carlos Hyde. So the Rashad Penny thing that you were just talking about that, that factors in, is it that crazy that all of a sudden Chris Carson isn't playing 80% snap shares? Because that's kind of what it took last year for him to see this many carries. They had no one else. They went and drafted another running back. They went and brought in Carlos Hyde. They got a little more out of Travis Homer late last year, and maybe they'll be willing to use him. This guy was playing 85% plus of the snaps several times throughout the year. That's great. I just don't think that trend from 2019 is what carries over to, to 2020. I think you might see this guy in the 70% snap share range, and then all of a sudden – he looks like a trap back. He looks like somebody that doesn't really have much better than 15 point upside. I go back and forth on him so much just because of Penny's injury. Like, I don't want to fall for Carlos Hyde going there and saying, oh, that's going to ruin Chris Carson. Because even though Hyde had a thousand yards, it's, it's almost the exact same thing you're saying. Like they, the, the Texans needed Hyde by default. The Seahawks may need Carson to do these things by default because he could be better at passing downs or better on passing downs or passing situations than Carlos Hyde and probably DJ Dallas. But we don't know what the Seahawks are going to think in, in regards to that. But um, the, the other thing that I keep going back to with Carson is even though we keep hearing Penny pup list, that does not mean Penny out for season. And so while you might get six weeks of a great head start for Chris Carson, if in fact they're just using Hyde and spot duty and he's getting all this work, if Penny comes back, let's say by week eight and he is, what he was before he left, which is a big stretch because apparently this knee injury was worse than they uh, initially let on. But if he's right, let's say by fantasy playoff time or a little bit before that, Carson may have been great. He may have been just kind of middling his way through and getting you some good games or some, you know, uh, so, some poor production along the way. And uh, and then all of a sudden Penny ruins him at some point in the season, along with Hyde taking him off the field in certain situations. So this could be a very crowded backfield. Um, but at the same time, if it's just Carson and Hyde and, and maybe a little bit of Travis Homer sprinkled in, I think Carson's going to be okay. But I'm generally with, with Ben. I haven't drafted a lot of Chris Carson. I don't see myself drafting a lot of Chris Carson. He is somebody that I would put in this category of players I avoid. I know, however, see, I, I do, however, see why some people are gravitating toward him. 
I think that uh, there are some players going ahead of him in NFC ADP that that don't typically go ahead of him in our drafts. Leonard Fournette, Jonathan Taylor, well, you know, Ben. Um, <laughs> Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, and David Johnson. To see oh, Le'Veon, yeah, especially see James Conner and David Johnson going ahead of Chris Carson was surprising to me. Now, granted, they're back to back to back, and then the next back off the board is Raheem Mostert. So he's the guy that's on Ben's avoid list. Le'Veon Bell, Raheem Mostert, and Chris Carson were the three running backs you gave me, and, and we take a look at their ADPs. Well, before before you go there, uh-huh. you probably shouldn't have had me and Ben on the show together because we have a very similar, I think, mindset on some of these backs. Like I'm just just to give you the contrarian side of this. Keith has Carson ranked 12th in PPR. I and have, Dave really likes him too. And, and Dave has him at 14. I was just going on the high end. So so Heath yeah. has him at, at 12. I have him at 18. I don't know where you have him, Ben. I mean, he's still a top 20 running back for me. But um, like I would take, in PPR especially, I would take a chance on Connor, Gordon, and Gurley over Carson, uh, even at, you know, age or you know certain situation you know uh injury risk with with connor and Gurley, just because i think there's more upside with those three guys than i do think there is with carson and ppr and i i have carson at 21 for backs but that's also and i've talked about this a few times an area of the draft where i i think drafters should be shifting more towards receivers than they are right yeah i don't want to fall into that trap every episode but these conversations are like <laughs> useless for me because I just like I'm just wide receiver, wide receiver. I love yeah. this range of wide receivers. Right. They're not useless for me. I'm just kidding. But it's just they don't always well, apply and, and we talked about this for people who weren't listening all you know last year. We talked about this running back dead zone. This is an area that historically has a very low hit rate. Now there was a couple good players out of this area last year. One of them was Derrick Henry. Um Aaron Jones. but even with Derrick Henry being so historically efficient down the stretch. He was, I believe, RB five in PPR leagues. Um, yeah. Not not far off, and I think in in points per game, maybe RB two or RB three. Um, but the point is, like, there's a reason some of these guys, like, they, whether it's they don't have the receiving role or they don't have a, a a clear claim to an every down role, which I think is kind of the concern with Carson, um, or their team might shift more to passing, which is something we didn't talk about with Carson. But Russell Wilson's been wanting to pass more. Does Carson have double-digit touchdown upside? I don't know. I mean, Russell Wilson's the guy they're going to give the ball to in the red zone. They're not going to hand it to the, to the guy with the fumbling problems, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned. Um, they did so last like, year. These guys have issues, and yeah. then we draft them because they're you know they're, they look like the lead backs in their offenses, and pr- they look good in projections. But there's a reason they're not top 15 backs. And, and once you get outside the top 15, you get into this area that has a historically really low hit rate. Yeah. And I think the reason why I do like these discussions, why we have to talk about these running backs, well, obviously they're top 40 picks, so you got to talk about them. But also, sure, my intention is probably to go with two running backs with my first two picks in in most drafts. But, hey, it could change easily. I don't see a scenario where I'm going wide receiver, wide receiver. But definitely one running back in my first two. Like I could definitely get – I would love to have Kelsey. I would love to have Kittle. I would love to have one of those top five wide receivers. I mean, it could change. And when it does, okay, now do you change your strategy and try to grab one of these round three or round four running backs? Or do you just wait and wait and see what else is there and kind of go with a one RB strategy? And, you know, we'll let the listeners decide which guys do you like. Uh, Everybody's going to have their own personal opinion. So let's talk about two more, Le'Veon Bell and Raheem Mostert. Now, their ADPs are fairly similar on NFC. Le'Veon Bell, 36. Raheem Mostert, 46. Um, this is a this is a reflection of how early running backs are going, because there, we haven't done one draft this year where he's gone close to forty six. I I really don't think so. Maybe a non PPR draft once. I don't. That know. seems late for Bell though. 
Uh, 36th? Yeah. Well, he went 44th in the draft we just did, Le'Veon Bell. Moster went 61st. So they went way behind their ADPs. Um, but, you know, Mostert's the 23rd running back off the board. Where do you guys have him ranked? He's higher in non-PPR for me than PPR, obviously, just based on his, you know, um, profile and what he showed us last year. But he's he's outside the top 24 for me. You know, I, I would, uh, just in PPR, like I would take Kareem Hunt over over Mostert. And, you know, he's the backup. I have that. Okay, well, so and I have Mostert at RB thirty. So yeah. What's interesting though that Mostert and Bell are very different in that Bell actually does catch a lot of passes. He had sixty six catches last year. Mostert had fourteen. <laughs> so Ben, these were two guys you gave. Yeah. Two very different profiles. You're right. I mean, Bell is is the kind of back that you would think uh, with everything I said that I uh, that I might like, but the issues that I see with Bell are one. Um, touchdown upside. I, I just don't think it's there in this offense. Uh, the receiving should be there. But then there's this um, element that also pulls in Mostert. And Mostert is the more traditional trap back. He's not going to catch enough passes. Most of his production last year was efficiency. And especially for him, we don't even know if he's going to be the starter all year. They used three different lead backs at different times last season. Uh, we've talked on, on this show how he had that monster NFC championship and then didn't even start the Super Bowl. Didn't even touch the ball until, you know, late into the Super Bowl. So I think Tevin Coleman is going to be very involved and people are just expecting way too much out of a back who's not even the lead back and isn't going to catch passes in, in terms of most. But the, the issue with both of these guys for me is age. And I've said this before, you don't pay for pass production at running back. And when I just talked about the very historically low hit rate in that running back dead zone in those rounds, if I do a build, like you said, where I take a couple more receivers early and I'm looking for a running back in that range, the reason I'm always going young is the ones that do hit in that range are typically always young players. Historically, I just did this big research last year. It's guys that are breaking out for the first time. That doesn't mean that they're great picks in every situation, but almost without exception, the guys, and again, Derek Henry last year was probably the biggest exception, but the guys that are going in that RB15 to RB30 range before you get to backups who can sometimes break out, be like, you know, the James Conner situation where Le'Veon Bell holds out and then all of a sudden he's a, he's a workhorse. But before you get into that type of player, when you're in these like low end starter range, it's the young guys that they're really only held down because we haven't seen it yet. But, um, but with Mostert, he's kind of like young for his age because he doesn't have that much wear and tear. He hasn't, he's not Le'Veon Bell, right? He's not Melvin yeah. Gordon. He doesn't have, all that tread on his tires. Does that factor in? Does that change the the equation at all? He's still more expensive because of past production. He's more expensive because of what he showed us late last season and, and how exciting that looked, and especially the NFC Championship game. And everyone's kind of forgetting that we went into last season thinking Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida were going to be the starters. So what should that lesson be? Well, is it that Mostert's a better running back? Maybe it is. But maybe it's also that we shouldn't assume that the guy that we think is the lead running back in the, in the Kyle Shanahan offense to start this season is going to be a lead running back for 16 weeks. There's, there's a wild card with that too. It's, it's that McKinnon and yeah. a guy that they paid to be their guy suffered the injury before his first, you know, start for the first week of the season. Uh, they kept on the roster last year. He got hurt. They kept on the roster again. And while they traded Matt Breida for, you know, what they consider to be value and, and, and allowing him maybe to get a better opportunity. I think Jeff Wilson's going to get some touches too. And so, you know, I, I'll go back to the same thing. I've said this time, time and time again since the combine that, you know, what Kyle Shanahan said was, I used to think four running backs was, 
I forget the, the phrase that he used. I used to think four running backs was a, a, a bonus, and now it's a necessity. But um, he didn't he didn't use four running backs at a time. Ben's brought this up. I mean, Jeff no, Wilson he's, he's was a used, special he's teamer. He's used three guys. He's you used know, three. In terms of, in terms of giving you know, 100 carries to three different guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if you're giving you know, Mostert, who we didn't see have this big workload in, except for that NFC Championship game when, when Coleman went down, who doesn't do much in the passing game, um, you know, I'm hopeful Trent Williams is going to replace Joe Staley at a high level, but that's the change in the offensive line that could be significant, uh, even though Williams has a great profile, but he didn't play last year. So uh, I think, you know, Mostert to me is, is, is a good third back in non-PPR. Like I took him as my third back in, in the fishbowl. I think I took him in round nine, um, you know, just given how, how, it, uh, how it unfolded. Super and I flex. With that. Yeah, super flex, just to point. Uh, super flex. Um, well, all right, well, it, when would you, okay, so let me tell you where he went. He went 61st, I said. In this draft, uh, what's that? What is PPR. So hold on, let me just. I think find that's him. fine. I think I, no, I think he went later than that. I think he went 69th. Was it? I'm anything, looking. Anything after round six or anything round six or later is fine. Yeah, he went right before Keyshawn Vaughn, James White. This was half PPR. Like that, you're cool with that. As the third running back, yes, I have him ranked as the third running back. I have no problem with him as third running back. You know, I do think again, you're, you're banking on offense here as much as anything. You know, so while Ben is 100 percent right, you know, his age is. The fact that he hasn't an opportunity to, to, to get significant touches with any other team before, whether it was him getting hurt or a team not falling in love with him. What he showed us last year, the fact that they're talking about paying him. Um, and, and I think, you know, I said this before, I, I know I butchered the way I said it the last time, but uh, Kyle Shanahan, his father has done this with <laughs> running backs time and time again, taking guys off the scrap heap. And for a short period of time, whether it's a year or year plus or half a season, has gotten very good production from guys like Olandis Gary and Mike Anderson and, and players that, you know, were out of the NFL and, and come back and, and, and do significant things. So they're not afraid to turn over that position, but it's just, I think what the investment is. You're looking at Raheem Mostert and saying he is a starting fantasy running back for 10 plus weeks. You're making a mistake. If you think you can get spot starts out of him when the matchup is right. And if this gets off to a, you know, a strong start for this offense, again, running the ball like they did a year ago, then you're going to be thrilled where you got him. But I just think that Coleman will get work. McKinnon will get work. Wilson will get some touches. We'll see how this all unfolds. Third running back. Great. Top 24. Not for me. Let me ask you a question philosophically, something that is hard. It's hard. You know, like how do you, when you evaluate these running backs, do you try to factor in how good you think they are at playing football, which we don't we don't necessarily know. But when I look at Aaron Jones, I think he's great. When I look at Raheem Mostert, I don't see any evidence that he isn't really good and better than Tevin Coleman. When I look at Le'Veon Bell, I don't I'm I'm concerned that he's not that good anymore. Chris Carson, though, I think is pretty good. But it seems like since we're not talent evaluators. The best thing that we can do, the most responsible thing we can do is really look at touches, high value touches, uh, those types of things, opportunity and, and you know, predict how many predict stats that way. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like the case I want to make for a guy like Aaron Jones is I just think he's awesome and deserves more work. But, you know, the case against him is so compelling. He didn't get that work last year when they drafted A.J. Dillon. You understand what I'm trying to say here? It's balancing yeah. how good you think yeah. the guy is versus what the opportunity is going to be. The and, problem, and how you weigh the the problem is I, I completely agree, like, with what you're saying. And, and I, I struggle with that with a guy like Aaron Jones. And I even with what you were saying, where I, I think Aaron Jones is good, but the evidence against him is so compelling. Like, I, I want Aaron Jones to get more work. 
And I think he's very talented. And I do consider this stuff. But the the thing that I always go come back to is the running back position in fantasy football, it's an opportunity-driven position, period. Right. More so than any other position. It is wholly dependent on the opportunity that the player is getting within the offense. Typically, only one or maybe two running backs are even fantasy, you know, viable in an offense. Some some offenses, I guess, there's a third. But um, you have to know where the touches in that offense are going, who's getting them, what big, how big of a share they are. And then, as we've been talking about lately, what types of touches? Are they getting their receptions? Are they getting the goal line looks? Raheem Mostert, I can't project for anything close to the right amount of work, even though I do think he's good. Although I would say if he was really, really good, he probably would have gotten more than you know 40 career touches before he was 27. Aaron Jones, I think, is great. Um, but, yeah, I do the same thing, man. I do the same thing with Jonathan Taylor. We know that. Like, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be such a good NFL player that they won't be able to keep him off the field by November. And he will be their lead back. He will be their 20-touch back. That's what I believe, especially behind the offensive line he's going to be running behind. By November, Adam would have cut him four weeks before that. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. All right, this has been basically a running back show, so let's talk well, about some wide receivers. I want to say just real quick about Le'Veon yeah. Bell. If you're buying it, like, like Heath is still all in on Le'Veon Bell, which I don't get. I think Adam Gase is going to screw with Le'Veon Bell so much this year that Frank Gore is going to become such an annoyance and Michael Pirine will have some touches. Like, this has got Adam Gase messing this up again. Maybe rightly so, if, in fact, Bell – to your point, Adam, isn't the same guy. Um, and he never wanted him to begin with. But I just think, like, you know, Bell was better, I think, than we give him credit for last year, given the circumstances around him with, you know, Darnold missing time and the offensive line just being a complete disaster. I like the fact that they rebuilt this offensive line. I think it's going to be much, much better. And the weapons around him will be better, uh, the offense as a whole, because Herndon back and Mims and Perryman, you know, I just think there's better talent there. But I just feel like this has got Adam Gase, not liking star type players. He's shown that time and again from Ajayi with Miami to especially this position, Drake in, in, in with the Dolphins. Um, and, and I think Le'Veon Bell has got uh, uh, not significant enough competition because they're good because, you know, Gore's at the end of his career and, and, and P. Ryan still has to prove himself. But I just think you're going to see Bell does something that, you know, he tipped those too much and, and Gates gets upset and there's Frank Gore for 10 carries and still – finding a way to be relevant for, for a team in 2020. So if we look at wide receivers here, Amari Cooper and Odell Beckham were on the list that Jamie sent me, his five players to avoid. Jamie had uh, Henry, Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette, Amari Cooper, and Odell Beckham. Ben had Carson, Emmanuel Sanders, who we'll get to, Le'Veon Bell, Raheem Mostert, and we'll also get to Austin Hooper. Um, but I think when you look at these two guys, Cooper and Beckham, their ADP on NFC is is in the third round. They're going in the fourth round in our drafts. Uh, in fact, the most recent draft, 42nd for Beckham, 45th for Amari Cooper. Is that? Let me start with this basic question. Is that good enough value, middle of the fourth round for Beckham and Cooper? I think it's fine. You know, I, I think these guys are in a mix of wide receivers that include, um, based on ADP, or at least what I expect ADP to be, uh, the two Rams guys uh, in, in Woods and Cup. Um Allen Robinson, you know, for whatever reason, Juju's fallen to the fourth round. I don't get that um, based on ADP. What? So, really? yeah, uh, th there's just a lot of guys, you know, and, and, and it could start with a group of, you know, I think Ridley's going to be in this range. I think you'll see maybe Galladay in this range. Um, Cortland Sutton, I think, is in this range. He's another guy that I'm not taking either. I just think that for these two receivers in particular, they're going to be on crowded offenses. I feel more confident in Cooper than I do in Beckham. 
because of uh, who the quarterback is for Cooper and what the offense is going to look like for Dallas. Cause I think we're going to see a ton of running for Cleveland. Um, I think Hooper is going to be a problem in the red zone for Beckham Landry. If he's healthy, he's going to be a problem as we saw last year for Beckham um, Mayfield and Beckham were not on the same page last year. So I'm just out on these two guys. If, if, uh, if, you know, there's a run on receivers and these two guys fall because there's everybody in the draft feels like I do, then I'll take them in that round four range, uh, which I think is, is okay value. I would prefer them maybe a little bit toward the end of round four, but I just, I'm, I'm concerned that lamb is going to hurt Cooper enough that it's a problem. And Gallup is not going to go away. Who was just as good as him in some cases last year, overall, of course, of the season. Um, and for Beckham, like I said, I just, I just don't know if he's going to be that much better than what we saw last year. I think he'll have better points per game, but you know, he gutted out an injury, you know, typically he misses time with injuries and that's something that's a concern. I should say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disrespect Ben. AJ Brown will be in that range. <laughs> I know. Well, I was waiting for you to say, well, would it, you, <laughs> are you taking in PPR? Are you taking AJ Brown over Cooper and Beckham? I am because I would rather swing for the fences. And I think AJ Brown's got a higher ceiling. Okay. I'm not going to ask Ben. I, I think I know the yeah, answer. Yeah, well, I actually have Beckham one spot behind him. Beckham's the one guy that of these two that I've started to wonder if I'm not getting enough because I'm drafting so many, you know, so many shares of AJ Brown and, and Calvin Ridley. And I, I just think Odo Beckham is Odo Beckham, right? And I think so much of the of the Browns problems were related to Freddie Kitchens last year and he was hurt and he was changing teams. And we know that receivers don't typically, you know, change teams well, but you look at uh, Allen Robinson, how he had such a big second season with the bears after kind of an injury played a little bit, the first season while on a new team, I think he's the one guy that I'm like, am I, am I missing something here with Odo Beckham? But I, I completely agree with Amari Cooper. He's one that I would much rather play the Dallas passing game through Gallup or CD lamb. I just, I don't think the three of them should be this separated. And then Emmanuel Sanders, and we just had the show where we talked about our favorite players after round five, round 10, excuse me. He's just before that. He's basically at the end of round 10, Emmanuel Sanders, or maybe like the end of round nine, but round nine, round 10. He's the 45th wide receiver off the board, and he was drafted in round nine in our most recent CBS draft. So you're not, you'd rather spend that pick on Mike Williams or Justin Jefferson or like one of the rookies, Sterling Shepard, those guys. I literally don't think Emmanuel Sanders should be drafted. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I love Emmanuel Sanders. Like, I don't, I don't receivers. really believe that based on what you just said. That's okay. So sense. everyone's pretending like this guy didn't just tear his eight Achilles a year ago, and there was a reason we were all really concerned about him coming back last year. And you go look at his game log last year. He started hot. He had three games over eighty-five yards in his first four games, and then after he got traded to San Francisco, he had two hundred-yard games. He had two more decent games. Outside of those five games, and this includes the playoffs last year, every other game was 61 yards or lower. All but two more, which were 61 and 60 yards, were 41 yards or lower. What I'm trying to say is he had an insane amount of games where he was almost non-existent. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten regular season games and all three postseason games. Man, he's not on San Francisco anymore. So he goes to New Orleans, <laughs> this player who was recovering from an Achilles and is 33 years old and already showed signs, especially with San Francisco, that maybe he's more just a bit player at this point. And nobody on New Orleans, outside of Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, has got, had more than like 70 targets, maybe it's 75 or something, for several seasons. And on top of that, they just brought in Jared Cook last year, and Jared Cook was very 
effective and is going to have plenty of, you know, plenty of targets himself. I just did their projection today. I projected Sanders for right around 70 targets. And that doesn't put him anywhere near where he should be drafted in the 8th to 10th round. I gave him a really high touchdown rate because he's playing with Drew Brees. Still at 70 targets only gives him about four and a half receiving touchdowns, but maybe he scores six or seven. I don't know. That still doesn't put him anywhere where he should be drafted in the 8th to 10th round range. And here's the kicker. After I gave him all those rates, I didn't have enough targets to allocate to everyone else. I had to bring down Michael Thomas's target share. I already have Thomas dropping over 20 targets from last year in this projection. Um Traquan Smith is still very good, by the way. He's the guy that's going to shift over just, and get a wait. Just going to say that the one thing that they are Trayvon lacking Smith. and what's been so great for this offense is a downfield threat to, to threaten other teams. Yeah. Ted Ginn was that for two or three seasons. Traquan Smith was that for part of last year. They need that. It opens so gonna, much. But that's going to be Smith, right? Do you think that's going to be Sanders? Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally Smith. So yeah, that's the guy that I think. Gotta, yeah, this he's got to do a little more before we anoint him anything. Okay, well let's let's just look at what he's done for the record: nine point seven yards per target year one, nine point four last year, five you're touchdowns talking, talking in both Smith? seasons. Yeah, Traquan Smith. No, this is this isn't a, this is more NFL than fantasy. Yeah, yeah. This is opening up what what happens to the Saints. Mm-hmm. So you have to be scared of the big play because they'll hit one or two every game, at least uh, attempting it. Michael Thomas does not run down the field. You know, he runs the seam. Jerry Cook runs the seam. Alvin Kamara runs wheel routes. You know, that, that's what they, they do, you know. And so Sanders is coming in to sort of be, he, he's, he's, a, he's a, you know, middle type of route runner. You know, he's not a burner anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. you know. And he's, he's a clutch he, player. He'll make some, like Jamie said, he'll make some plays for them in, in NFL games that matter for them right. to win games. He'll catch some big third downs, and it will be great. But he will be just like his game log last year. He will be so inconsistent for fantasy. that He should not be on fantasy teams. I, I believe he, that. He should not be drafted. He is a floor player and not a ceiling player. So you'll get five for 60, four for 70. You know, I mean, he'll have some some okay stat lines. I don't even know if he'll get that. Okay, so but he'll have some two for thirties too. That's yeah, always that's been point. my issue with with Emmanuel Sanders. That's always been my issue with Deshaun Jackson. The difference is those guys used to go in the sixth round. Now they're going, you know, after. Well, the other difference the is Deshaun but, Jackson but, still, even at this point in his career, can give you a five one twenty five two. And I don't know that Emmanuel Sanders just in the at, Saints' offense is going to do that. He just did it a look at two thousand eighteen. Okay, but if you want to make the case for Emmanuel Sanders, two thousand eighteen. He basically, I think he missed four games that year, and I think Wes Welker missed four games too, because I remember, or Wes Welker, Julian Edelman. Um, they had almost the same exact season. Uh, he was a top 15 player per game, 2018, Emmanuel Sanders. That was pre-Achilles, though. Pre-Achilles. Then he tore his yeah, Achilles. Yeah. Exactly. Know, but he came back. He came back. He, played, he started out all right with Denver. He got traded midseason to a team that didn't throw the ball. So I think a lot of players would have struggled in that situation. I'm just playing devil's advocate and making the case. Now he goes to New Orleans. I'm not drafting. I have no interest. What I, I think There's, we should probably talk about, though, that New Orleans might be one of the best offenses in football. They've got Emmanuel Sanders and Taysom Hill have the potential to be fantasy killers. They could really be bad for everyone. Um, you know, they could be bad for Michael Thomas. They could take targets away from the guys that you actually want to draft. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen. But I don't. I just don't like him there for Michael Thomas's sake. For Jared Cook, Jared Cook in particular, 
Uh, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't want to see that happen. I, I want to see those con- those targets be a little bit more concentrated. Um, yeah, that's why I don't and, like and, well, either. They might be. What do you mean? They, they still might be. I mean, I hope it, so. you know, you're, you're, I, I think that's one thing that, you know, and, and NFL personnel people uh, do this too. You fall in love with names. Like Emmanuel Sanders' resume is great. Yeah. He's yeah, a great yeah. locker room guy. He's a great guy. And but I don't even still, think Emmanuel still Sanders. Productive? I don't think Emmanuel Sanders is expecting to come over there. And the one thing I will say, they gave him ten million guaranteed. Like they paid him handsomely to come in and be another weapon. But I don't even think his expectation is that he's going to be a hundred target guy. I mean, go look at their targets last year. Alvin Kamara missed two games and played with a high ankle sprain for many others. Jared Cook was third on the team in targets with sixty-five. Then Ted Ginn with fifty-six. Then Latavius Murray with forty-three. Like really quickly, you're you're getting down into the, 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 you know, sub 50 target range because of how many Thomas and Kamara account for the year before their third highest targeted player was Ben Watson with 46. They literally only had two guys with more than 50 targets the year before. No one else on that team even had 50 targets. And you go the year before that was Alvin Kamara's rookie season. And, and Kamara had a hundred targets as a rookie, both uh, Mark Ingram and Ted Ginn were at 71 and 70. And then the guy after that, Brandon Coleman had 37 so, yeah, I mean, maybe Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook both hit 70 this year. That's about where I'm projecting them. It still makes them bad bad picks at their ADPs to project them for 70 each. And that is, you know, going. you have to go back to Kamara's rookie season. I think Thomas will get more targets than he got back then in 2017. I think Kamara will get more targets than he got back then in 2017. I, I think it's going to continue to be this concentrated of an offense. It has been for three years. Well, for Jared Cook, though, all he has to do is score touchdowns. You know, like he's going 116th overall. He's the 11th tight end off the board. Mike Kosicki goes right after that. I know you take Kosicki over him. The player that goes right after Kosicki is Austin Hooper. He's the 13th tight end off the board. And uh, he's the last guy we'll talk about today. We've gone a little long today. So I think both of you guys, right? Am I right? Both, both of you guys don't want to draft Austin Hooper? I'll take him as a 13th tight end. I won't take him as a top 10 guy, which is what I was seeing early on. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I have him ranked 13th. Okay, perfect. Um, well, he was... Um, before he got hurt last year, Austin Hooper was the number one tight end. That was nine games. He was on pace Holy for 1,081 yards and 11 touchdowns. He's a very high catch rate guy. So if you're worried about targets, I mean, he's a, he catches 75% or more of his targets, basically. He doesn't have a high yards per catch, but he catches a lot of the balls thrown his way. Um, so keep that in mind with Hooper and, uh, per game, he was top four the year before that he was a top six tight end. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and he's never had a target share higher than 17%. So I know the argument against Hooper is like, well, it's just not going to get that many targets, but maybe he doesn't need them. So tell me why you're, you're still like a little hesitant to draft him though. Well, part of the target share comment, he had his best seasons when Atlanta was like leading the league in, in pass attempt so shares a little bit um you know a little bit uh confusing here because if we then look at how much the browns will throw it won't be um it won't be nearly as high in terms of raw targets at the same share because they'll throw a lot less they're going to be a run heavy offense but i just think yeah he's got a lot of competition it's a completely different scenario he didn't have any competition in atlanta especially after uh muhammad sanu was gone but pretty much in the in the underneath range of the field he was that guy and they had these great downfield weapons and they'll, they'll have those in cleveland but had, too but he's had, gonna have to- they had freeman and he played he played most of his healthy games with muhammad sanu and Devonte freeman was catching a lot of passes right I, in fact i've made this comparison before i actually think 
The yeah, but Falcons... none of those guys is Jarvis Landry. Like we talk all the time, how Jarvis Landry is one of the most underrated players in the league. He beats his ADP every year, and he's a target hawk, and he's always been one. And I think Kareem Hunt's going to be more of a target hawk than Devontae Freeman was. And they're going to have a better second tight end in David Njoku than Atlanta ever had. I don't disagree with you that maybe I overstated that with the Atlanta situation, but there's a lot more competition still, even if you acknowledge yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the plus would be. Let me see if I have the stat. 20. Okay. Baker Mayfield's thrown 49 touchdown passes in two seasons. 17 of them have gone to tight ends. He's going to be a touchdown guy. I think he's definitely going to be a touchdown guy. Dave, Dave's talked about that a lot as well. You know that. Yeah. I think he could still be, you know, seven, eight touchdowns. Wouldn't shock me at all if that's the case. But I think his receptions are going to come down. I think his yards are going to come down. I think he's, you know, battled an injury last year. You know, that, that kept him off the field for a few games. Um, uh, ben said it though, you know, Najoku is a better second tight end than he's ever played with. He's going to be on the field. I think, um, enough. Um, it's, it's very hard for me. If you're going to buy back into Beckham, that you're going to buy into Austin Hooper as well. And then not have Baker Mayfield yeah. as a potential top 12 guy. It just doesn't make <laughs> right. sense to me because yeah. Landry's not going away. Now, if Landry is out with this hip injury and you know, he could be a pupless candidate. We don't know. Um, if that happens and then it's Beckham and Hooper, as potential target leaders early in the season, then Hooper's going to really be great as the 13th tight end off the board because then he's still going to be part of, even if the target share is, uh, even if the passing numbers are different because the offense is different, the target share could be there for him and Baker could still find a way to you know be productive with him in the red zone. So I don't mind Hooper. Like in the, in the fishbowl draft, he was my second tight end. I was thrilled with that, you know, to get him as the second guy behind Evan Ingram. Um, but I don't want to have him as my first tight end in that, even in that type of format. You know, so um, I get why Ben is taking Gasecki over him. I could see why people are, you know, taking some of these, um, you know, guys like Blake Jarwin and 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 uh, uh, Noah Fant for sure, Hawkinson for sure. You know, I could see why those guys are. Are you, are you taking Fant and Hawkinson over him? I, I am not. Like I said, I still think Hooper is a top twelve tight end. He's at the tail end of that for me, but um, it's more I'm hoping for touchdowns as opposed to I'm counting on the other things to be there for him. I just don't see it that way. It was a very surprising move for the Browns to pay him as much as they did. Um, given the fact that they had Njoko, I think they're giving up on Njoko a little too soon as uh, a guy who could be their, their lead tight end. But, um, you know, uh, it, it's hard to say that Baker is going to throw to the tight ends in the red zone and not say Njoko is going to have a role in that as well. It's it. Uh, you know, Njoko had a lost season. He only played four games, only had 10 targets. But did catch did touchdown. Hurt. Yeah. Okay, well, that's uh, that's today's show. We got one more top five episode for you coming up this week. Top five, I think it's the top five players we are afraid to be wrong about, something like that. Um, yeah, you got it. All right, cool. Plus top five <laughs> patriotic movies. And yet, I just really don't think Independence Day is uh, is a patriotic movie. It has really nothing to do with America. You know, it's not... I literally don't know another one. <laughs> Wait, then you don't know any. You've never seen The Patriot? Born on the 4th of July. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. I've never seen that one either. Apparently very good. Right, Jamie? Oh, patriotic movies. Yeah, it's just war movies. Yeah, I think war. Yeah, pretty much. But some of them are more patriotic than others. Like Platoon's not patriotic. Never saw that one either. It's a good one. Michael Keaton. David Private Ryan's going to be on my list. That's good. David Private Ryan's a good one. What a movie. Probably the best movie I've ever seen. Ben Schrager uh, should Social see it Network's someday. a great uh, patriotic movie. <laughs> I have seen that, and it's great. Adventureland's a great patriotic movie. Zombieland. Adventureland is... No, Adventureland is more patriotic. Adventureland no, is like hey, American Zombieland summer. 2. Zombieland 2. Spoiler alert. They spent some time in the White House. 
Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I never saw it. I would like to see Avengers. That. Great patriotic movie. <laughs> Captain America. Anything Captain America. Probably. <laughs> the Sandlot. The Sandlot is literally oh, America. That's a great one. That's a good call. That's a good, one. Yep. good call. Uh, so like, wow. like Die Hard, anytime there's any Christmas reference, it's a Christmas movie. So any, I mean, Sandlot does a big scene with 4th of July, right? Yeah. He's the fireworks. fireworks play at night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think Ray Charles singing. Feel the America Dreams. The Beautiful. Feel the Dreams, Dreams is uh, the single most overrated movie that's ever. No, oh, here we go. <laughs> what? Oh, I can't wait till Friday. <laughs> I'm sorry, not on the show. It's so bad. Oh, nothing what, what? happens. You wait the whole movie for them to play the game, and then they roll the credits. We're out of here, everybody. <laughs> uh, for Jamie and Ben and Traggy B, I'm Adam Azer. We will talk to you on Friday with two top fives, your emails, your Apple Podcast questions. Talk to you then.